This is a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49, working on communications and a retiree. I'd like to welcome you to our weekly podcast, the Chapter 49 podcast. It just so happens that today is the day that the building in which I live, my wife and I live, is getting a new roof. So there will be plenty of noise in the background. Uh, we'll try to minimize that as much as we can. But if you hear some, some what sounds like construction going on, yes, it is. And uh, we'll just ask you to bear with it as, as best you can. But right now, we happen to have a moment of silence, so I'll be thankful for that. So as we uh, begin this, we just want to remind you that this podcast is available on a number of platforms. We host it on SoundCloud, but you can find it at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and a number of other places. So uh, all you have to do is uh, go to one of those places and just uh, all you have to do to find us is is to search under podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. You'll see I have a number of podcasts I produce. Just look for the Chapter 49 podcasts, and they should all be there going back almost well, almost a year. And as always, it wouldn't be a Chapter 49 podcast without Duncan Giles. Duncan, welcome. It's another week. Good to talk to you. Good to be here, Larry. Well, we want to start off on a on a somber note. We are recording this on the morning of April sixteenth, twenty twenty one, and uh, we uh, people here in Indiana and across the nation and the world woke up to the news of a mass shooting at the huge FedEx distribution center um, near the airport. And I will point out that if you drive by the airport on Interstate seventy, you'll see a huge FedEx complex. That's not the one that was the site of the shooting. This one's even bigger. And you really can't see it well from the interstate. It's a huge distribution center. That's where the mass shooting happened. We know eight people have died. The shooter uh, was uh, died of an apparent self-inflicted wound, at least the, the alleged shooter. We, we don't know all the details yet of what happened, but that's what the police are telling uh, the media now, although we don't know a lot at the time that uh, we are recording this. I'm sure once you many people who hear this, will have learned much more information about the shooting than Duncan and I know it at this particular time. I know of at least one IRS employee in Indiana that has a family connection to FedEx, and that person is okay. But it's 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 just a, another reminder that uh, we, we in, in America continue to have these mass shootings and uh, uh, they just nothing, you know. Seems to, to nobody seems to want to do anything to stop them. So I, I'm curious about your your feelings, comments at this time. Yeah, my my heart truly goes out to all the uh, victims' families and the victims themselves because there are uh, some folks out there who were shot and uh, are in the hospital now. I these are just senseless to me. Absolutely senseless. Um, you know, it's a automatic weapons issue, but it's also a mental health issue. It's, you know, this country does not do near enough to address uh, folks who are under stress, whether, you know, they work at the IRS or anywhere else. We, we will try, um, but there's still too much of a stigma to it. And I just think that there needs to be a bigger push for mental health care for people to who have issues to please get help 
don't feel that you're alone or there's any sort of stigma to it, anything of that nature, you absolutely need to get help. My my daughter is a uh, behavioral um, counselor, and I can't tell you how strongly I believe in getting assistance in a mental health angle. If you get sick, you go to a doctor. If you have mental issues, you go to a mental health professional to help you. There's no shame in that. And I can't help believe that if we didn't have more people that would take advantage of things of this nature, we would have less issues and tragedies like we did this morning. Yeah, we do want to emphasize that we we do not know the motivation of the person that did this at the time we record this. We know nothing about who may have done this shooting, uh, but uh, the general, the general, in, how should I put it, the general concept of of mental health being important uh, is is worth mentioning. You know, I live in a suburb of Indianapolis, Fishers, Indiana, which is a growing suburb, still growing, and. The mayor of our of my city, I am proud to say, and I do some, and I do write a local news blog, so I know a lot of people here locally who are in, in government. And and the mayor of my city, for the moment that he won his first election, and he's into his second full term, he had a one year term during the transition, so he's been there several years. Ever since he was elected, he has had a mental health initiative, and it is not one of those, okay. Let's declare victory and move on to the next issue. He has stayed with that his entire time as mayor and continues to work on that because it's always been his belief that that's a very important part of building a community, dealing with the mental health issues. And I think there's more of a recognition of that. And and I think, uh, you know, I, I re- I've worked for the IRS so long, Duncan, I can remember when we initiated as an agency the employee assistance program that had never existed before. And the program stood up, and uh, even though management didn't know the specific names of the people who were availing themselves of that, management was shocked at how many people took advantage of the counseling available in the employee assistance program. Uh, And it continues to this day, and lots of IRS employees use it, we would encourage people to use it if you feel the need to do so. So mental health, as you said, and I'm no expert, so I talk to experts and try to learn. That's that's what I do best, better than anything. And and what every single one of them tells me, and I'm sure your daughter tells you, is that what you just said. I mean, if you break your leg, you, you go to a hospital and you get a cast on and, and you wait for it to heal. People who have mental health issues, that's just as serious as a heart attack or a broken leg or something that physically happens to you. So um, some, I think there's been a, 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 how should I put it, an, an issue with people talking about it. People don't really like talking about mental health. They think there's a stigma attached to it. So I would hope that people find ways to get around that stigma, and I'm probably been talking too long. But uh, we don't know that mental health is involved in this, but we know it has been in several mass shootings. So uh, we, I, we... I can't imagine anybody who's sane would do anything like this. Yeah. And I do, and I do want to back up exactly what you're saying on the employee assistance program. Uh, management, to their credit, pushes that pretty hard. And so, you know, to anybody listening out there uh, that's an IRS employee, 
you know, you get a couple of free counseling sessions. If you're feeling depressed, if you have anxiety, anything of that nature, avail yourself of that. If you are listening to this and are not a federal employee, you know, take the time to talk to a counselor. Um, that it can really, really help you out. And, you know, anything that can brighten your outlook and make you feel better, again, whether it's a medical problem or a mental health problem, you should address it. And you can normally get that done uh, without telling anybody, you know. So Absolutely. Especially EAP and IRS. Uh, management knows the number of people who avail themselves of it. They don't know the names of the people who do. They, they. So um, anyway, just I, I hate to have to talk about that, but uh, we've had a mass shooting here in Indianapolis. Uh, eight people at the time we record this are confirmed dead. The shooter, the, the alleged shooter, apparently has committed suicide based on what the police are telling the media at this time. There are at least five people in the hospital. Uh, one at least that we know is in pretty bad shape. So we hope that person heals and everyone else. And we feel for all the families involved. And, you know, it's a scary time. The people in this facility were not allowed to keep their cell phones with them because of the kind of work they do in that distribution center. So once this happened, you know, no one could get a hold of anyone because they didn't have their cell phones. And they probably could not get to their lockers to get to their cell phones because there's a police investigation going on. So we'll leave that as it is and uh, wish everyone well and hope that we as a society try to learn from this. Although it seems we haven't in the past, perhaps we will. This time there's always hope. So we'll move on from that and let's talk about some issues dealing with people working for IRS in Indiana and probably other places too. And we know that there are people who listen to this podcast outside Indiana and we're, we certainly welcome you as, as well. But there's an issue about wearing of masks. There has there have been edicts that have been issued about people required to wear masks in federal facilities, even leased spaces. If it's a if it's a federal facility, you're supposed to wear a mask. The question has come up: When do you have to wear your mask if you're in a cubicle and there's nobody within six feet or maybe even not even close to six feet from you? This has come up particularly in toll-free for people who are coming into the toll-free centers and trying to answer phone calls and talk to the public with their mask on. So, Duncan, I'd really like to know what's the status of all this right now. Yeah, we've uh, we've had some discussions nationally with the IRS on this because our point is, okay, if folks are socially distanced, um, you know, and they're in cubicles, that are separated, why do they need to wear a mask? And IRS has explained that it's due to an executive order uh, that President Biden has made. And I think that this particular order, while very well-intentioned, may have had some unanticipated consequences, and this being one of them. And what we're asking um, the IRS to do, and they are doing it, is they're Uh, going back to see if this can be modified uh, to get an exception for folks who are working in these types of cubicles, taking phone calls, doing that sort of thing, so they wouldn't have to wear a mask while they're talking on the phone, which can be incredibly difficult uh, for taxpayers to understand. And and so we get that. Like I said, we're, we're pushing very hard for that. We're making sure that there's social distancing because Sooner or later, 
we're going to have folks coming back into buildings. And if they're having to wear masks while they are talking on the phone, that's just not going to be a good situation for anyone. So we, like I said, IRS is asking for exceptions. I know uh, National NTEU is reaching out to their contacts in the administration to see if we can work on it as well, just to get common sense to come out there. You know, Duncan, as I mentioned earlier, I, I produce not just this podcast, but other lines of podcasts. I do film reviews. I do a, a, an occasional uh, podcast with some other film reviewers, and I do some local podcasts interviewing local people. And I've started to do a few more in person. You and I have always done this through Zoom just because it's easier for us and it was a way to deal with the pandemic. But I actually had some in-person podcasts I tried to do with my mask on. And I listened to one podcast where I was talking with my mask on and I decided, okay, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) Nobody can understand me. And there are some masks that are easier than others, but the ones I've been using weren't that uh, good. So I don't think it's easy to talk to the public over the phone with a mask. And and I understand. I mean, there was there was a good-intentioned executive order, and I think every time you make an edict, be it in government or the private sector, there are going to be unintended consequences you need to deal with. So that's where that is right now. It's being discussed, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, we're like I say we're we're pursuing avenues. IRS management is pursuing avenues. I think both parties are in agreement that um, it can be done safely without masks in uh, in a, like a call site environment where there are cubicles that are separated by by walls. So we're hoping to have that change sooner rather than later, but we just don't know how long that will take. Do you know how many people outside the toll free system, and there aren't that many there? How many people are working in an IRS office in, in Indiana? Um, not many. It, okay. it varies. There are some that have come in uh, to do mail. Uh, for the most part, that's that's when they rotate in. Usually they're coming in for a day or several hours. But for folks who are um, doing things outside of accounts management or the campus environment, in Indiana and across the country, it's it's very few that are working day in, day out, actually in an office. Well, let's move on to another issue. And I think the crux of this issue is knowing the difference between a strong suggestion and a requirement. Uh, because we're talking about the, uh, the everybody knows that you have to put your setter time in. You have to get it done every week. You have to report your time. It is a requirement to get that done. We understand that. But there's been a push by management to get the setter input done every Tuesday. And uh, how should I put this? Based on what I'm hearing, the management's language on this has become more and more to the point that they really want employees to do this on Tuesday NTE's message is what? NTE's message on this, when when the pandemic started, we, you know, IRS management came to National NTU and said, hey, look, we're trying to make sure that we get the time done correctly. We want to make sure it's done correctly. We need to have folks put their time down daily. NTU management talked to the different chapters out there. And, you know, came back with a consensus and said, okay, to IRS, during the pandemic, yes, we will agree to 
that folks should be inputting their time daily. Then it became over the last several months, more and more they've been pushing for, okay, put your time in for the week by Tuesday, but don't validate it. That way, if you need to change it, you can change it. Um, They can suggest that all they want. No employee, and listen to me carefully, folks, no employee has to input their time for the week by Tuesday. You're supposed to do it daily. Please remember to do it daily, but you do not have to put in your time for the entire week by Tuesday. Management can suggest it. Management can strongly suggest it. Management cannot mandate that because it has not been discussed nor negotiated with national MTEU. And I think that uh, that's the point I was trying to make. There's a, there's a big difference between a strong suggestion and a requirement. There is a requirement you daily put in your setter time, and there's a reason that needs to be done. But you don't have to do it on Tuesday, and that's the bottom line message. Exactly. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. I think uh, this whole issue of working at home, you know, we've had telework. We called it FlexiPlace before that. We've had this system for a long time. But during most of the period we've had this, you had to come in the office two days a week every pay period, if I recall correctly. Yes. Uh, So if you wanted to commute from your home to your post of duty, you we're never going to be reimbursed for that, right? That's just commuting. And anybody who knows about tax law understands that commuting is, is not tax deductible mileage wise. And it's not uh, reimbursable under an accountable plan like the, the, the IRS has and many private and public employers have. Well, now we're in uh, uncharted territory of more than a year of people working in their homes on a regular basis never going into the office with a few maybe scattered exceptions. So with people working from home all the time, the question is whether you should receive mileage when you are instructed to come in the office because you're working in your home just about all the time. We're sort of in uncharted waters on this whole issue, and I'd like to know where we're at as far as you and NTEU are concerned. Yeah, it is, it is a fascinating issue um, because apparently some employees, I don't know of any in Indiana, but apparently in some other places, once the pandemic started, when they had to go into the office, they were claiming mileage and apparently some managers were approving it because they were saying that right now my POD is not my workplace my home is my workplace. You've directed me to work from home. Therefore, I should get mileage if I have to go in to do mail, if I have to go in to make copies, whatever the situation. Um, NTU's position is, you know, that's that's a very good point. We filed a national grievance on that back in May of last year, so darn near a year ago. And IRS has recently denied that grievance. And the other part of this is now they are, IRS is now starting to go back and collect money that was given to um, the folks who claim this local travel for traveling into their post of duty. So it, you know, 
we've asked national and to you has asked IRS to take another look at this and, um, you know, legal from a legal standpoint and to try and figure something out. And the IRS has stated they will. I, you know, it'll be also interesting to see uh, how we proceed with this national grievance as well. So, like I said, it's just a very interesting technical issue when you're working from home and having to go into your post of duty, whether that's actually considered commute time or not, since you're not actually commuting on a regular basis. And I think we have to be a little bit careful here uh, because this idea of where you work most of the time could also impact locality pay. So I'm sure our attorneys are looking at that angle of it as well so people don't get hurt by this. Yeah, and that's one of the things, too, that that's always been the big bugaboo is you couldn't have people work from home um, because of locality pay issues. And then lo and behold, the pandemic hits and everybody's able to work from home. So I think that there are some locality pay issues out there, but I think that's been hugely overblown. And that's one of the things um, that I'm sure is going to be discussed at the uh, term negotiations table. Yeah, we should mention that uh, you have one more Zoom uh, round of negotiations uh, with the management on the national agreement. Then you go into um, face-to-face meetings next month. So um, just so people know. And we're trying to work out how we're going to do the podcasts <laughs> while you're in D.C. <laughs> but we'll find a way. I mean, this, I'm sure we'll figure it out. And, uh, I want to move on to something else. And you've already mentioned the telework. I've mentioned telework. And I think this is a theme we've talked about for almost a year now on these podcasts that we'd heard as a union for years that the management you know, just didn't have the capacity to put more people on teleworks. Toll-free is a great example, but there are other parts of the service. Taxpayer Advocate, TAS, another one, they've, they've in the past been very hesitant to maximize the the telework option. And I'm sure there are employees out there who yearn to get back to the office, miss their coworkers, and for those people, fine, that option should be available to them. But I think the big question here is, as people are vaccinated and, and as we hope that the pandemic begins to ease, although it hasn't yet, we want to make clear on that, we're still seeing spikes. But... With that aside, uh, how do you think management will react to NTEU's push to maximize the option of telework for as many employees as wanted? Where where do you see that standing right now? That's that's a great question because there is some work that IRS is saying we need to bring people back just because it would be more effective to have them do that. And so we're asking for to maximize telework as much as possible, uh, a health and safety above everything, but benefit to the uh, employee. And actually, it's a benefit to the IRS as well if people are you know doing it from home and not worried about coming into the office. That you know they'd be there more often. They'd be doing the work more. Things of that nature. So. We're going to continue to have a push on it. I do foresee management 
IRS management continuing to push back as much as they can, especially as vaccinations roll out, to try and have people uh, come back more and more into the office. You know, somebody um, sent me a message earlier this week that they had heard that um, that this was going to last, the telework pan, uh, pandemic thing was going to uh, last until 2023. And I quickly disabused them of that notion uh, because I don't believe under the pandemic it will last anywhere near that long. But this, again, is something that we're trying to negotiate at the table for, you know, what positions do need to come in at least some of the time and what positions can really basically do the vast majority, if not all of their work uh, from their home. Well, and that's so. I, I think that's to to be determined. And, and once there is an agreement in place, uh, we'll look forward to talking with you to exactly what the uh, contract is going to be saying in the future. Let me move on to something else, uh, Commissioner Reddig. You've met uh, Commissioner Reddig. You've spoken with Commissioner Reddig. And I have to tell you, I was always amused when you were telling me that you were one of the few people in Indiana to get a private one-on-one meeting with him, and all the management people were asking you to bring up their issue, which I'm sure you did, right, all of them. But uh, Exactly, yes. I gave the, <laughs> depending upon who the management official was that asked me, I gave it exactly the weight that it deserved. And uh, it shows you it's nice, it's, it sometimes uh, pays off to be nice to Duncan Giles. So, uh, <laughs> sometimes. So, but the commissioner was before Congress, and his testimony uh, created quite a splash, not just in the tax media, but also uh, in the the general news media, because he used a word that I thought was quite interesting. He said, when it comes to the IRS trying to uh, do compliance work, and this is the word he used, IRS is outgunned. And what he meant by that is IRS doesn't have the staff to be able to challenge some of what's going on. In the, and and they, uh, I have to tell you, the tax professionals know it because I was teaching a tax practitioner institute for several years for Indiana University up until this past year, and I was talking to a lot of them, and they were all quite aware of that, uh, that uh, IRS was outgunned and the chances of getting an order on certain issues were low. And uh, so that's how they, uh, their, their decision, uh, just how aggressive they want to be on some issues, were partly uh, determined by knowing that. And I believe the commissioner, I don't know where he came up with this figure, used to figure that there is $1 trillion of money out there that IRS could get and we're just not getting because we don't have the staff. He also bemoaned the fact that IRS continues to get more and more responsibilities with more and more laws being passed. The next one being uh, these monthly payments for people with children. Many people with children are going to get monthly payments starting or be eligible for them starting, I think, in June or July. And the commissioners flat out told Congress he has no idea how in the world IRS can do that with the staff that we have and the technology we have. So I'm curious, you followed this as well. You have actually talked to the commissioner himself in the past. Uh, this testimony, I think, was pretty compelling. What, what's your reaction? I absolutely do. Um, yeah, we've talked about it on this podcast before, and we are woefully underfunded. The figure that I've heard is over the next four years, 
to even start getting a grip on what we need to do. We need to hire 50,000 employees. Now, I don't, in my wildest dreams, believe that we'll hire 50,000 employees. But I, you know, when you hear numbers of that nature, that's how many we need to hire. We've got a $1 trillion shortage out there. You know, these are real numbers, and it just becomes of the fact that we just don't have the manpower and have not for years because we've been underfunded to go out and, you know, not just answer the calls, not just, you know, take care of the returns, but to audit returns, to collect the money that's owed. We just don't have the manpower because we haven't even come close to backfilling, much less uh, advancing our numbers and getting more people in. And again, as we've talked about, we need this money because it's not going to start on a dime. Even if we were able to hire, you know, 50,000, let's say we're hiring 15,000 employees a year. That's never going to happen. But let's just say that these employees aren't going to come in right off the bat and know everything. It's going to take them a couple of years to get trained up and you're going to have to pull people off of the um, off of what they're actually doing to train these people. So you've got that. I mean, we had a meeting yesterday um, for uh, about clericals doing uh, work for the CAF unit, the folks that take care of the uh, power of attorney forms for representatives who are taking care of tax issues. And they're so buried in the service centers, they're looking for help. So, you know, it's just, we're just keep trying to, um, you know, patch holes where there are just, you know, you, you can't put a Band-Aid on a six-foot wound. That's just not going to cut it. So we need these, the funding that uh, the commissioner is talking about, that President Reardon has gone to the Hill and talked about, and that we're starting to hear in more and more discussion about this, like, hey, if we want to pay for some of these things, uh, you know, like the funding that we just had for the American Rescue Act, like the infrastructure that is so badly needed that is being talked about that we need more funding for that. Well, the way you get more funding is to give more money to the organization that's bringing in at least 95% of the funds. And that would be the internal revenue service. And the interesting part of all this is this one year infusion of money is nice, but that really doesn't help because as, as you have seen, and I've, I've been around for times when IRS is staffed up big time. First of all, you're going to hire people and not everybody is going to make it, okay? Not everybody is going to make it through the training and the coaching and all that. And also, you have to keep in mind that IRS's best people will be doing the teaching and the coaching, which means they'll be away from their compliance work, for example, and that's going to suffer for a while. So if, if if IRS doesn't get some consistent funding over a number of years, uh, it's still going to be a problem. And, you know, we were promised that as an agency back when the uh, reorganization happened when Charles Rosati was commissioner in the late 90s. We did this reorganization, uh, and uh, there was some funding for a while, then boom, it went back down again. Uh, so what was promised as a as a regular type of funding did not happen at that time. And there are reasons for that. I mean, we've talked about it before. I won't get into it at this point. But um, I think we all have to know that if this, is, if this doesn't become a steady situation over a number of years, I don't really see how the compliance holes can be plugged 
uh, in, in any effective way. But that's just my view. I don't know what yours is. Uh, that's it exactly. And I mean, I've talked to commissioners uh, from Rosati on up, and they've all believed and they've all gone to Congress and said, we're woefully underfunded. You know, when you're talking Rosati, you're talking 20 years ago um, that this issue was out there. And so, you know, it's continued. And he pushed for funding. Shulman pushed for funding. Koskinen pushed for funding. Redding's pushing for funding. So it doesn't matter who the commissioner is. They've all realized this and are pushing for it. But it's like a slow awakening out there with some members of Congress going, hey, they're really underfunded. Maybe we should do something about this. There was a commission to reorganize IRS, of which uh, Bob Tobias, the president of NTU nationally at that time, was a member of that. And another member was a senator who was just going, said he's going to retire soon, Rob Portman from Ohio, a fairly conservative uh, Republican senator. And I remember him saying right after that report came out and when the IRS was uh, reorganizing based on that report, he got up on the Senate floor and said, if you're not for the IRS budget time, you're not for the IRS reorganized. In other words, you've got to be for not just reorganization when we reorganize. You have to be behind this reorganization of budget time. And that didn't last. His colleagues did not in the in the House and, and some of his colleagues in the Senate did not go along with that um, over the years and were still paying the price for that. So let me move on to um, a related issue, which is about funding. You may have been reading this. Uh, it's come out from a number of different sources that President Biden is now beginning to unveil his budget proposals for the next fiscal year. And he's he has recommended a rather large increase in domestic spending, the largest in anybody's memory in a very long time. There was one uh, news report that I saw that the IRS funding was proposed to be increased by more than 10% in that next fiscal year budget, but there were no details available. And NTEU, our lobbyists, watch this, and this is just kind of a general um, explanation. There are no details available. So we really don't know what the president's budget proposal for IRS will be in detail, but it's at least good news that the Biden administration realizes that these funding challenges are out there. Absolutely. Yeah, we, 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 we do wish that we knew some more detail right now. But yeah, I heard the same thing that you did. It was a more than 10% increase, which would be absolutely welcomed and needed. But we are, at, at, you know, at right now, we don't know exactly what part that they're looking at. Is this going to be compliance? Is this going to be, um, you know, taxpayer service? Is it going to be all of it? We just don't know what they're looking at. But we're hoping that they staff everything up. And that includes things like IT, support, um, you know, basically everything. Because, you know, we it's not just it's not just the front line, the people that are actually having the taxpayer interaction. It's everything behind the scenes as well. The support people that take care of the people that are doing that, the IT people that are helping, the facilities people. You know, we need to staff those groups up as well to try and make the organization run better so we can start uh, putting a dent in some of this money that's out there that should be being collected. 
One last thing I want to talk about before we wrap this podcast up, that uh, you and I have just recently received our second doses. Uh, I've got Moderna. I'm not sure which one you had. Moderna as well. You had Moderna as well. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a good feeling to get that second vaccination. We do uh, know that there may be a booster shot that may be needed within six months to a year. If so, fine. We'll wait for the experts to tell us that. Now, the Johnson & Johnson one-time one uh, vaccination has been taken off the market because the experts need to look into some issues. And uh, there have been some, there has been some debate within the medical community about whether that needed to happen. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's not just in tax law. People have arguments. They have them in medicine as well. But the people who are in authority are saying, well, we need to take a look at these blood clot issues. Even though there are only a, no, a few we know about, there may be some we don't. We don't know what caused it. So there's, you know, I'm not an expert medically, so I, I have to listen to what they have to say. But vaccinations continue to uh, roll out for people as, as young as 16 now. And I'm hearing stories that may go down to 12, depending on how some of the the uh, Pfizer tests go. Uh, we are we are vaccinating ourselves up. We still have a few recalcitrant people who don't want to be vaccinated, and uh, that's a, going to be an issue if we want to have this this herd immunity thing that the uh, medical experts talk about. But just I'm just curious about you. You've had your second shot now. How does that make you feel? Uh, it makes me feel damn good. To excuse the expression, and I was on a. Uh, a group email yesterday with some uh, other chapter presidents and um, negotiate about upcoming negotiations. And there's been some hesitation from IRS about having in person. So they were asking about, you know, who's had uh, their vaccinations and the vast majority of folks on the teams have had theirs. Um, you know, I mentioned that I had had mine on Wednesday, my second vaccination on Wednesday and that my only side effect was that I was more devilishly handsome than I already am. And then I corrected myself and I said, no, wait, I'm delusional. That's it. I'm delusional. That's my side effect. Um, uh, I, yes, I, I've heard lots of uh, side effect jokes about how I feel after that second shot. But go ahead. Yeah. It, it, you know, and my side effects on a scale of one to 10 were maybe a one and a half. Um, so, but it impacts everybody differently, but you know, we do need to reach that herd immunity so we can just try and finally trample this thing down. And as I said, when they start calling people back, if you don't have a vaccination, that's not going to be an excuse for you not coming back into the office. So I would really, if you're having doubts about it, I would think long and hard because do you really want to come back into an environment where, you know, you're unvaccinated, but you're still around a lot of people? Well, and that's an interesting point that you bring up there because you can, you can flip that a couple of different ways. Some people may think, well, okay, I just won't get vaccinated. Then they'll have to let me work at home. That's not true, is it? Exactly. That is absolutely not true. That's not going to be a condition that will allow you to do full-time telework is that you either uh, can't for a medical reason or don't want to 
uh, for whatever reason, get a vaccination. That's, that's not going to be a condition that we're going to be able to legally uh, uphold for you. And the other side of that coin, as far as we know, IRS uh, is not planning to require people to be vaccinated to come back in the office, as we understand it, correct? Uh, we've heard nothing about requirements to be vaccinated. Okay, so we can assume at this point, unless there's something new coming down the pike, and uh, you, I know NTU's brought this up at the at uh, meetings with uh, the national management, and they've insisted there are no plans to do that. So that's where it's at right now. Correct. Any final comments? We've gone through our issues for the uh, for this week. Um, anything you'd like to add? I just, uh, again, just want to express my sorrow and condolences to the folks who are impacted uh, by the shooting at the FedEx facility and any other uh, shooting mass shooting events, and that we've just got to do something to address these. Yeah, when it hits home, it's uh, it just has a special kind of hit you a special, especially when there are people maybe that you know who have people that work there, and you have those few moments not knowing uh, how they are. So uh, yeah, th- that's a bad that's a bad situation. Duncan, thank you very much. Always great to talk to you. And if all goes well, and we certainly expect it, it will. We will be back next week uh, with another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. You've listened to Duncan Giles, our chapter president for Chapter 49, which represents IRS employees in the state of Indiana. I'm Larry Lannon. I, I am a volunteer with Chapter 49 and am a retiree. So we thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast, spread the word, send links out, let people know about us, and uh, and uh, we would welcome anyone uh, anywhere who finds this podcast of interest. In the meantime, let me just once again ask all of you to please be safe and be kind. <laughs>